All right, happy Friday, everyone. Today is March 10th, and this is episode 26 of our shows on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volpe, founder of the Volpe Firm and Nimble This. Today we have an excellent show for you. First, let me introduce our panelists. With us, we have John Downey, CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. John, great to have you back. Thanks for having me, as usual. All right. Also, we have Larry Wilcott, Comcast Fellow in Operations Technology. Larry, thanks for joining us. What a pleasure, as usual, with such great, awesome people. <laughs> and finally, a man who needs little introduction, the esteemed Ron Rannick, Technical Leader at Cisco Systems. Ron, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for the opportunity to uh, participate in, in today's uh, Google Hangout, Brady. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining everyone. So today's show, we're going to focus on what's coming in field and operations technology and the impact of how things like proactive network maintenance, DOCSIS 3.1, and everything is having on that. Uh, so I'd like to start off, Ron, letting you give your impact or your feedback on how things are impacting operations and field technologies, maybe from a DOCSIS 3.1 standpoint, since you're so active in all the different standards and working groups out there. So I'd love to have your opinion on where things are going with DOCSIS 3.1 and its impact well, on. I'll, I'll say that DOCSIS 3.1 is is for real now. Uh, I think, you know, like anything new, people are often a little bit skeptical of, well, gee, just how fast is this, this new uh, spec going to become reality? But the reality is that the spec itself was developed um, in, in pretty much a record amount of time. And the first version of the spec was released in, in late 2013, became an international standard in 2014. And, and today, here in 2017, cable operators have been doing um, trials and tests in their networks, uh, pre-deployment testing to see just how well OFDM or orthogonal frequency division multiplexing plays in the networks. The, uh, the results have been astounding. Um, I think operators have been very surprised at, at just how robust uh, OFDM is in, in the networks because it works surprisingly well, even with constellations as high as 4096 QAM or 4K QAM. The, uh, the DOCSIS 3.1 spec is already up to its 10th iteration, believe it or not. And cable operators, some cable operators have gone beyond the test and trial stage and are actually, um, have actually deployed um, paying customers uh, with a with a 3.1 based service, so it's it's working, it's real. Of course, um, on the cable operator side, there's a probably a scramble to learn as much about the the spec and the technology as possible because it really does uh, bring a new level of complexity um, to uh, operations. But primarily from the perspective of of uh, what I'll call the knobs within DOCSIS 3.1 that can be used to optimize. Um, the performance to just about any cable network you can imagine. So if you think of it as a way to uh, pretty much optimize uh, DOCSIS 3.1 to, to just about any situation, yeah, there is a, a bit of a learning curve with it. But what operators are finding so far from uh, the, the testing I've participated in is if they've got the available RF spectrum, they can drop an OFDM signal in that spectrum. And it doesn't have to be a full 192 megahertz wide signal. It can be 96 megahertz or 144 or 48 megahertz, whatever fits the available spectrum. And, um, and it, it works surprisingly well. 
Uh, just to give you an example, and this is, this is from real-world testing that I was uh, involved in with a major cable operator a few months ago. We were doing some, uh, some outside plant tests in, in uh, node service areas that had six amplifiers in Cascade. And I remember in, uh, in one particular part of this, this cable network that ha had obviously not been touched or tweaked ahead of time, the end-of-line performance um, in the OFDM channel had, had uh, peaked to valley of 7 dB, um, kind of nasty looking on frequency response, but 4K QAM, 4096 QAM worked like a champ, uh, no errors, uh, no, no uh, uncorrectable code word errors. Uh, so it, it, it told me that, look, this stuff is extremely robust and, uh, and works well in today's network. So the good news is it's out there, it's working, operators are doing the tests, they've, uh, they've done pre-deployment testing and, and they've done trials with friendly customers. There's still some of that going on, of course, and, and, and other operators have actually already started selling 3.1-based services and, and have uh, deployed, um, I think collectively in the industry, probably several tens of thousands of Doxus 3.1 modems to paying subs. Awesome opening, Ron. Couldn't, that's just perfect. Um, Larry, so, you know, you're working for uh, Comcast, and I think you've probably had just a little bit of experience with Doxus 3.1. Can we get sort of an overview from you, what your, what your uh, experience has been? You bet. So, um, boy, we've, uh, we're, uh, we're neck deep in it. Um, I would say I think we're upwards of 30% deployed on our total footprint with OFDM. So the downstream uh, line cards are out there on almost everywhere in some degree, right? So... And I, I, I forget, but I think it's 60% of our total footprint targeted by two, end of 2017. Um, uh, the tools are automatically um, detecting and analyzing OFDM uh, channels as we turn them up on the downstream using the existing 3.0 equipment, which is, you know, um, uh, one of the really excellent uh, outputs from PNM 3.0 is we train those things to um, to uh, you know, uh, to do FFTs of the OFDM channel, uh, you know, at 50 kilohertz resolution bandwidth, um, you know, consistent with the subcarrier spacing. So they're really, really accurate at uh, you know telling us how the the OFDM is performing, you know, without actually having to deploy a modem or a or, or test gear, right? Um, so so like, Larry, yeah, let yeah. me ask you. Are does that mean you're turning on an OFDM block as like a test signal and using the full bandwidth capture of the 3.0? No, we're turning on a 3.1 uh, OFDM and leaving it on. It isn't a test signal, it's a signal. And then what we do is we kind of go in and um, uh, with having about 60% of our total CPE population now full band capable, we uh, we remotely tune those things to uh, to analyze the OFDM for us at 50 kilohertz resolution bandwidth. So, you know, you can see the performance of the pilots, of the PLCs. You can figure out, you know, what the, you know, where the roll-off problems are. And they're out there, right? So, um, you know, another technique that we spent a lot of time perfecting, that's not perfected, but, but uh, uh, is, um, is using... Uh, stretching our spectrum, right? Um, if we're running an 860 plan, you can, in some places, depending on the gear that's out there, run upwards of 900 and not necessarily have a problem. And um, uh, some places you can, some you can't, but this is a great technique, right? Where it, you turn it on at 850, we got a lot of knobs in there that we can turn to 
um, to maximize the, the profile um, so that, um, you know, you can get as much out of your spectrum as you can squeeze it right to the last electron, you know. Um, so My, my yeah, use of the word test, sig test signal is not a good usage of the word. What I meant yeah. was well, you turned on the real channel yeah, yeah. and you used it for testing, but maybe there was no customers actually using it yet. Yeah, and, and Brady and I were uh, we actually we all had this conversation before the show started. Would, the reality check of the analysis that we can do is it's killer, but you can't actually demod right. These things they don't have we don't have symbol rate access to decode the OFDM. So we we're we're basically stuck with power level, uh, you know, analysis. We we have it at 50 kilohertz resolution, which is awesome, and it's consistent with the subcarrier spacing. So it tells you a lot. It's very accurate. But you can't say, um, you know, unless you've got a, you can't detect MER problems, for example, and you can't detect uh, the actual performance of the LDPC. That's just but because they're see, not. You can see it. But you can, yeah, if you got, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you got you a roll up, roll up, absolutely suckouts. Um, even ingress, if it's it's strong enough to um, to offset the you peak to average ratio within the spectrum, but. You know, it's a uh, it's 85% um, of everything you could want to do um, for the cost of basically free. So it's tough to argue with. You know, so talking about testing, meat of the the topic here of now, you know, we've got Doxis 3.1 out there. As Ron said, it's working well. Larry, you've said you know we're getting a, a large swath of Doxis 3.1 modems and even signals out in the field. But what is the impact on our our field and ops guys, and and how are they? Or, you know, how are they getting trained up? How are the tools changing that they're using out there? I think that's a as a key perspective of of now maintaining Docs's three dot one plants that we have in operation. Absolutely, and um, you know, one of the early learnings at Comcast, and this might seem trivial, but it's it's actually pretty hard. Is how do you reliably get a one gig speed test? Right when you go install and you got a customer that and they're out there and they're coming every day and say, I want a gig and I want um, all that good stuff you're offering. When you leave that customer's house, how do you, how do they know that number one that they're getting what they're paying for, and after you leave, how they themselves reliably confirm a gig speed test? Are they going to sit there on the couch with their Mac on their 802.11n Wi-Fi and do a speed test? And how's that going to work out? Right. So um, uh, we're doing a lot here, but I mean, these are the talking about operational. Complexities. I mean, you don't think about a speed test being hard, but doing a gig speed test is is, is really really hard. Even getting, getting a gig is almost yeah, exactly. a gig is difficult. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Oftentimes, the the customers have got older computers or older interface cards on their computers, or they've got older Wi-Fi gear that's not capable of supporting those kind of speeds, and then they complain, "Well, I'm only getting 600 megabits on this supposedly one gigabit service." And said, "Well, yeah, that's because the the you know, the devices in your home are not one gig capable, and that's that's a, a piece that's going to require the cable industry to do a little bit of customer education, and, and of course that goes through our field personnel who who have are face to face with the customers. Now you, you were talking about the tools, Larry, and um, you know using the existing full band capture equipped CPE to do a lot of the the testing. Um, I, when Doxis 3.1 was first um, first being tested in networks in the oh, in the last let's say year year, year and a half, um, the test gear was largely limited to laboratory grade stuff, the, you know, the Rodian Schwartz and, and Keysight level kind of stuff, but you're talking, you know, $150,000 box to, to, uh, to do some tests. And 
Um, you know, that's okay for, for big companies that wanted to do testing, but the good news, of course, is that pretty much all the, uh, the test equipment vendors that the cable industry is familiar with for outside plant use, you know, the handheld instruments are, are now DOCSIS 3.1 capable. They've got the 3.1 modems embedded in them and can do the, you know, the per subcarrier MER measurements and, and uh, look at the, the PLC and, and the pilots and, and um, depending on the instrument, a, a very a variety of metrics to really characterize the DOCSIS 3.1 signal. So the good news is that the tools are out there um, and uh, are available. So it's, I think that's really um, a good, I have to say a pat on the back to the test equipment guys for responding so quickly um, given how fast 3.1 came upon the industry. Uh, but, you know, the industry now has these tools available and can really characterize what's going on and, and, um, and see just what, uh, what that signal um, is, is uh, being subject to in, in various parts of the plants. Yeah, well said, Ron. <laughs> so, so where are we? You know, so right now, if we have a DOCSIS 3.1 signal out there, what are the tools that we're we're deploying in the field. What are we using in order to go out and troubleshoot that as technicians today? And and what training are are we getting? And not just from a Comcast standpoint, but as an industry in general. Well, I'd say that there's probably a lot of it depends in that. Uh, you know, third party companies that that do training to the industry have been ramping up some of their their training programs to include DOCSIS 3.1. SCTE, for instance, is, has got some DOCSIS 3.1 training programs. Uh, most of the vendors have got um, uh, uh, training programs that you know, may focus a little bit product specific, but still they cover a lot of the basics of, of DOCSIS 3.1. So getting the word out there and, and teaching people um, about this new technology is important um, and, and is being done. So that's that's the good news. Test equipment vendors are doing training classes and they have videos online. So the, the material is there, um, which I think is helping cable operators uh, learn more about this, particularly the outside plant folks, because you know, they're, they're used to dealing with, with well, analog TV channels um, up to, say, the past few years, and then the single carrier QAM channels that, that carry our DOCSIS 2.0 and 3.0 services. And of course, now there's this mysterious thing called OFDM, which isn't really new as the technology goes, but it's it's new to the cable industry. So now they're having to learn that, okay, I've Got uh, got some some more um, nuts and bolts to look at as far as things I have to test and understand, but also get over the idea that gee, we're not limited to six megahertz wide channels anymore. You know, three point one, you can have up to one hundred ninety two megahertz wide channel in the downstream, which is pretty impressive. And and then of course things can get confusing when measuring power on that. So well, how do you measure the power? And uh, the answer is. Uh, is, is spelled out in the DOCSIS 3.1 phi uh, spec, and it, that is you measure the power in, in uh, six megahertz chunks. So it gives you an equivalent power spectral density with your existing single carrier QAM channels. And you look on a spectrum analyzer, and what that means is the OFDM haystack looks looks the same height as the uh, existing single carrier QAM channels. Um, so there, you know, there's some new things that people have to learn, but um, uh, they're ramping up quickly, and and fortunately, there's a lot of good training material and information out there to help help folks along. Yeah, and to follow up on that, Ron, I don't know if it's premature to talk about it, but we also have, um, you know, the new working group, the the P and M working group uh, that was recently, uh, well, is is coming together now with the SCTE network operations. Um, stuff, and uh, the focus there is unlike if you think about looking back at how we approached training and um, you know all of the documentation and support for P&M in the past, 
it was kind of um, let's do it first and then eventually SCTE will catch up and then we'll get the training put together and we'll figure out how to get it out into the field. So um, the, uh, the formation of the new P&M working group is to, um, you know, recognize the, you know, the, the latency in that method of the past and, you know, basically atone for it. So what we're saying now is we're going to expedite um, as we do PNM 3.1 now in cable labs, working groups and vendors and all of this stuff, we'll have a, uh, an SCTE working group uh, embedded um, right along for the ride at the same time contributing and absorbing so that it's not, you know, a catch up game for the field. So I think this is going to be very helpful for 3.1 PNM, which is very, very rich and also complex. That, that's a good point, Larry. And it's, it's not premature to mention that. In fact, I would encourage um, viewers of this uh, Google Hangout who might be interested in serving on one of the network operations subcommittee working groups to contact SCTE. There's, as you mentioned, the new working group seven, um, which is just is just kicking off uh, that deals with PNM. There's a, uh, a wireless working group that doesn't deal specifically with 3.1, but certainly some of the the uh, the issues that crop up in the world of wireless and Wi-Fi um, have a relationship to what's going on with DOCSIS 3.1. Um, and there's a, a a new working group um, five, I think, that is is uh, just just starting to take off with some of the efforts that were under what was originally a, a special working group. And and the uh, the first output of that is a um, an operational practice that is now on SCTE's website, and it has to do with the coexistence of Mocha signals and DOCSIS 3.1 signals above one gigahertz. So um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of work left to do and, and uh, volunteers uh, who might be interested in getting involved with the development of operational practices should contact SCTE um, and let, uh, let them know of, uh, of, of your interest. Yeah, so I think as a general thing, uh, Ron, it's a good point. First, become an SCTE member if you're not one and then get involved with working groups. It's a great way to learn a lot of information, so. Good, good thing to call out. Yeah, good point. Now, there was a, a comment earlier I wanted to, to follow up on, and, and I think it was Larry who was talking about speed tests and how do you do speed tests because they're, they're uh, a little bit more um, complicated in the world of a one gigabit um, per second service package. Uh, last, uh, I forget when it was, maybe in the fall, um, I was speaking at, a, at an engineering meeting in London, and um, Jeff Finkelstein from Cox was uh, was one of the presenters there too, and and he made an interesting comment that uh, that really got my attention, and I think the attention of others in the room, when uh, he said that in in uh, some of their their uh, markets where they've deployed one gigabit um, per second service package, not I don't think their docs is three point one based, but still it's the idea of a, of a one gig uh, service package. He said the uh, and this was a surprise um, I think to everybody. He said the average throughput per subscriber hasn't at least as of now gone up um, on the one gig customers uh, compared to traditional DOCSIS customers. So what that tells me anyway is that uh, you know, a lot of customers are getting the, the uh, one gig service and maybe not using it to its fullest advantage. You know, certainly they'll get much faster download speeds, but I was kind of surprised to hear that the average, um, average data throughputs per subscriber didn't change much. And the other comment that, that caught my attention had to do with speed tests, and that is at least with residential customers, uh, one of the biggest applications that they're seeing is speed tests with the one gig service packages. So it's a speed test that's actually driving data. <laughs> is people running? Speed yeah, yeah. They're, they're, well, you know, they're, 
beyond the you know the faster downloads of Windows updates and you know video files and things like that, it's it's uh, they're doing speed tests. Hey, I got a gigabit service, and let's see how close to that I can get. Yeah, that's that's, that's pretty interesting. So. So, John, we haven't heard from you for a while. How about on the CMTS side? What are you seeing from a, a 3.1 perspective, PNM perspective? We're, you know, on the on the PNM working group, we're always interested on on what developments are going on. Do you have any updates from your standpoint there? I, I you know, when you have a Google Hangout with uh, four guys that all uh, you know talk a lot, <laughs> it's hard to get a get a word in edgewise. <laughs> so now I'm ready to go. I have like five points that I've been thinking about as you guys have been talking. Okay, time. Uh, one is for Larry, uh, speed tests. So Larry and Ron. Uh, I thought it was interesting when Docsis 3.0 announced that they had an internal FTP server in the modems. So why not just utilize the internal FTP server if it can do it, not rely on the end customer to do Sam Knowles or whatever it is, uh, and you just like, so couldn't Comcast do speed tests remotely without the customer knowing it? Short answer, yes. Uh, yeah. Short answer, sir, is exactly um, uh, yes. But uh, it's, you know we're integrating it into our RDK, uh, RDKB specifically, um, but it's not here yet. So as a matter of efficacy and getting fast service and proving it's your customer, what we've done, to be honest with you, is we've got these small single board computers, you see them, raspberry pies and banana pies and orange pies, quad and octa-core two gig CPUs and they're sub hundred dollars and they have uh, gig ethernet links on them and we'll do a speed test there and they work really good. Um, but even then, it's even if you have a gig link, a gig E on your stuff, you, you're gonna hit about 960 tops, right? Just due to the, uh, the overhead and whatnot. So um, uh, yeah, you're spot on, it is uh, embedded in the gateway. That's the answer. I thought also interesting from, from Comcast side was the, the idea of going to upgraded 3.1 modems, not just for 3.1, but for the wireless capabilities. That was one of the biggest pushes, I think, was the fact of the wireless capabilities. Yeah, yeah. We have, uh, that is um, one of our kind of uh, our, our flagship products. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's still, uh, uh, still rolling out. And, you know, that's, uh, there's a lot of things going on, and unfortunately, speed test isn't like the first thing out the door. So it's, uh, you know, the drill. Yeah. So the, the other one was, the other point I wanted to make was, um, you know, using the full bandwidth capture of the modems to see the ingress. Um, you could do it before and after of turning on your OFDM block, right, just to see ingress. Uh, and then turn on the OFDM block to see what the you know peak to peak and carry the noise and suck out some rolls and all that. So that's always a great functionality or feature to to test what the spectrum looks at the end of line at different customers' homes. On the CMTS side, going back to Brady's question about the CMTS side, what gets me excited about three one is the fact of this what we call growth uh, graceful profile management, where we are monitoring the modems MER at active subcarrier, uh, as the pilots roll through and scatter through the OFDM block. And we can get the MER readings, we can get FEC, lock, unlock, and we can act on that. So we have you know, good feedback from real field experience uh, on dropping, say, from 4K QAM to 2K QAM to 1K QAM, maybe all the way down to 256 QAM. Um, I think to keep things simple, Customers will probably end up doing that where they have 
the whole block is one modulation. If the modem can't handle it, drop to the next lowest modulation. You know, the CMTS will make that decision based on the subcarriers. Um, where it gets more complex is if the end user, or say yourself, Comcast and MSO, says this network is across the whole network or this whole node, we want to do it where I know I'm going to run in the roll off above 860. Hence, from 860 to 900 megahertz, maybe we'll run a 1K qualm and below 860 will be 4K qualm because I know it'll work because it's node plus two or node plus one. So I think the mixed modulation is an interesting concept, but to keep it simple, I think a lot of people will rely a lot on the dynamic modulation going from say 4K to 1K or 4K to 2K to 1K. Um, we've got great feedback on how it is. Ron alluded to that at the very beginning. It's active now and it's more robust, <laughs> happily more robust, robust than what we thought it would be. So running 4K Qualm and at the top of that off, we have started optimizing going to 25 kilohertz subcarriers, optimizing the cyclic, cyclic prefix, whatever you want to call it. And we're getting close to 1.9 gig per block. Before we're getting like 1.5, now we're up 1.8, almost 1.9. So we've optimized some stuff to get even more speed, which is a nice, nice feedback. Wow. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> so, so Larry, I saw you applauding there with uh, when John was talking. What is what are you seeing, and and are you okay. the, the yeah. changes? And okay, so here, this is kind of our industry joke, right? We have, not really a joke. It's not funny. We in the PMM PNM community, we have always said this is kind of a scare tactic, right? 4K Quam is coming. Reactive now is proactive in the future. No, it's the other way around. Proactive now, today, is reactive in the future. you got to fix this stuff now. It turns out with LDPC and all of this good stuff that we've done, uh, OFDM and 3.1 is just killer, right? we still got to fix stuff. But, um, you know, people that weren't, I don't think, really properly prepared mentally for for the extra headroom and goodness that you get out of the new technology, right? And so we think our mind has been normalized to the same, you know, MER thresholds and performance and and modulation profiles. It just doesn't work that way. It's just a heck of a lot better and more robust and faster, right? And we still care about fixing things for before they break. Um, but but I got totally busted out on proactive today is reactive tomorrow. It's just not true. I mean, things still run great. They just run great. Yeah, I, I would add that uh, when it first came out, we were looking at the speeds achievable with 1K qualm. I'm like, some customers might just say, you know, why don't we just turn on 32 more single carrier qualms, Stoxis 3.0, make an entire group just for the one gig service, and because it's the same spectrum allocation as the 192 megahertz, and just bypass 3.1. Why would I wait for a 3.1 CPE when I could just do a 3.0 modem and offer a one gig service? Now, knowing how robust it is, I really feel that we could do 4K qualm in a lot of networks. Um, the modems that are deployed now, you know, the spec says may support higher than 4K qualm, but the modems I see deployed now, I think 4K qualm is the highest they'll do anyway. Um, but the spec says could, or what is it, run May? It's, 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 it's a May. May requirement for 8K, for uh, 
8K and 16K qualm, but that's not going to happen for a while, I don't think. I agree. Literally a pipe dream, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah, fast yes. pipe. You know, we're talking about how robust uh, 3.1 is. Um, the the uh, the forward error correction in 3.1 is pretty impressive. It's it's this thing called low density parity check, um, LDPC, in conjunction with something called BCH, which are letters taken from the uh, the last names of the guys who invented it. And I'm not going to try to pronounce their names, but those two um, together combined with with uh, time and frequency domain interleaving really really. Um, beef up the robustness of the data transmission. Uh, to give you an example, um, one of uh, one of the colleagues that John and I work with, uh, a guy named Jason Miller, has done some some tests where in which he forced a 192 megahertz wide channel to uh, 4K QAM, um, and then injected a 30 megahertz wide uh, noise like signal kind of in the middle of the in the middle of the channel, not not in the uh, the the PLC, but in the just kind of in the in the data part of the channel. And then slowly cranked up the level of this this noise-like interferer to see what would happen. And uh, you know, and you watch the uh, the per subcarrier MER, and of course you plot a graph of that. And you can see um, MER outside the region of the interference is really good up in the you know 40 plus dB range, 42 dB range or better. Uh, but of course, where the interferer is is this noise. This interfering noise was intentionally increased. The per subcarrier MER. Um, dropped as you'd expect. Now, when it when it comes to an MER failure threshold for 4K QAM, it's a, a bit over 35 dB. What, and what that means is, when you get to about 35.2 dB MER with 4K QAM, that's where 4K QAM stops working. And the recommendation generally is to have a you know five six dB of headroom above that, just just for channel effects and, and impairment loss, or sorry, not uh, implementation loss in uh, in the network. But what was found is because of the, uh, the, the frequency domain interleaving, the, um, the per subcarrier MER in that 30 megahertz chunk of subcarriers could get as low as 21 dB below the four, before 4K QAM had stopped working. And you think, oh, wait a minute, how, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because in the, uh, the deinterleaving process in the cable modem, those errored, um, errored subcarriers are spread across other code words, and then the LDPC beats up on it and fixes it. Then he repeated it with, uh, I think, a 96 megahertz wide channel and, and uh, could get down to, if I remember right, about 30 dB MER. So what it is, is, is the wider the channel, the better that interleaving effect works, which says that, you know, dis the, the, despite the availability of tools such as um, um, setting up exclusion bands where ingress might be problematic or using bit loading in, in that part of the OFDM channel where, let's say, where there's I'll call it LTE ingress or something, and, and reducing the, uh, the constellation or modulation order there. In some cases, that may not be necessary, uh, depending on what percentage of the overall bandwidth of the OFDM channel the interference occurs on. And, and uh, that time domain interleaving in, in uh, conjunction, or sorry, frequency domain interleaving in conjunction with uh, LDPC um, really makes for some powerful error, overall error correction. So. We're, we're just seeing some impressive things with uh, with uh, Doxus 3.1 out in the field, and and of course in the lab too. Yeah, yeah, and and to prove to prove that we were not just avoiding those subcarriers, we were doing Ixia traffic generation, and we still were getting the full effects. So we knew that those subcarriers with the low MER were still carrying data, because some people might come back to us and say, well. well 
where you had low MER, yeah, the whole channel didn't change, but maybe you weren't carrying any data under those subcarriers. But we proved that we actually were. So it was very, very good, uh, very robust, and it was surprising. That's an yeah, impressive our, demonstration. Our experience was exactly the same. We were trying to come up with a threshold for a tool that what where do we make it red, right? The really the basic question, and we were shocked that when we got the um, you know the looked at the theoretical thresholds of you know MER and it was clearly the uh, the frequency domain interleaving uh, working so well with the LDPC it was just stunning it was very impressive so it's really yeah, sad Larry that not only were we getting the more bits per hertz with DOCSIS 3.1 which is really the big the big reason we were looking at it but the another reason to migrate to DOCSIS 3.1 is the resiliency that we're going to have to RF impairments. Yes, sir. There are so many tools built into 3.1 for for dealing with impairments. There's there's the the uh, you know what what we just talked about the very very powerful forward error correction. Um, there's there's um, the ability to create exclusion bands. If there's a, a chunk of spectrum that that um, is within the OFDM channel and there's just uh, some really nasty interference there. Um, it's possible for an operator to create an exclusion band, which basically means in that part of the spectrum, you just turn off the subcarriers, and and the rest of the channel remains unaffected. So you can set up exclusion bands. You can do something called bit loading. So let's say that there's a chunk of spectrum affected by some impairment, um, maybe maybe ingress or something. Instead of carrying 4K QAM on those subcarriers, you reduce the modulation order to you know 10 1024 QAM or 256 QAM or 512 QAM or something that's more robust. And the rest of the channel stays at the higher modulation order. And, and then uh, you toss in the ability to tweak the cyclic prefix um, to deal with um, um, micro-reflections in the network and, and the uh, what's called the roll-off factor, which effectively um, lets you sharpen the edges of the spectrum of that OFDM signal so that you can, in fact, use the adjacent channel slots right next to that and put single-carrier QAM channels right next to the OFDM channel in the downstream spectrum, or you could in, in create an exclusion band if for some reason you weren't able to move some existing single carrier QAM channels, you could create an exclusion band and carry those right in the middle of the, or you know, somewhere in the OFDM channel. So there are all kinds of just knobs to tweak to really uh, help with the robustness of uh, DOCSIS 3.1. And, and they're available in the downstream and the upstream. We've been focusing in this discussion primarily on the downstream, but this, these same things apply in the upstream as well. So a lot of, a lot of very powerful capability in there to deal with the uh, plant gremlins that uh, cause us to pull out our hair. Yeah, so Ron, I mean, you're really, you're really touching on the, the built-in sort of you know, P&M hooks that were built into DOCSIS 3.1 that I, I think we're all excited about. Larry, I'd, I'd kind of like to, to open the discussion to you on this because you guys have just been really on the cutting edge of taking full advantage of P&M historically uh, what have you and what have you seen what have you done on the on the DOCSIS 3.1 standpoint from a, a proactive network maintenance standpoint um, you know the really fun nifty stuff is not quite there yet and when I say fun and nifty that's um, I'll sidebar that for a second there are some good things in there um, I know uh, at Comcast um, uh, I'll give a credit a shout out to uh, Maurice Garcia he's been working really hard with the PMA folks and done a ton of work characterizing, um, you know, uh, uh, OFDMA performance. Um, you know, the, right now the downstream MER uh, per subcarrier 
uh, is um, is pretty much as good as it gets. Uh, Brady, I know you and I have talked about this in the past. Um, you know, but we don't have an the magic is going to happen with 3.1 PNM when we get more out there. We just don't have a really large body, a population. Um, so uh, we're right now we're guessing about a lot of stuff. We're we're modeling what it looks like to do the profile management business, right? We're optimizing the profiles to get the best out of your, you know, there's a, a lot of um, uh, intellectual work going on there, but not a lot of, um, you know, uh, empirical data to support it yet. So w once we get a little bit more, I'd say in another three to six months, we're going to have a ton of really meaningful data. But otherwise, it's mostly based on 3.0 still, you know, spectrum analysis and things like that. And, and for, for those in the audience who might be curious about the role that PNM plays with DOCSIS 3.1, um, a lot of cable operators are familiar with the concept of proactive network maintenance because it's it's been out there since, uh, well, let's see, since Alberto Campos and his colleagues at Cable Labs published a paper at SCTE in 2008, and then the, they created a working group that and Larry and I have, have been on, and Brady has, has been active in over the years in developing um, PNM best practices based on you know for the uh, the, the earlier versions of DOCSIS, uh, but when but that was all kind of an afterthought when it comes to DOCSIS and PNM. Um, when uh, Cable Labs announced the intention to create a, a new spec for DOCSIS 3.1, those of us in the PNM working group said, "Hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. As long as there's going to be a new spec, let's get some some hooks embedded in the spec." to accommodate PNM in DOCSIS 3.1. And if, if you uh, are interested in that, and I hear I'm talking to the to the audience, uh, go to the Cable Labs website and download um, pretty much any version of the DOCSIS 3.1 FI spec. The, the latest is version 10, but um, all of them have in section nine of the spec, just PNM. That entire section of the spec is devoted purely to DOCSIS 3.1 PNM, and it covers downstream and upstream, and it gets, it gets uh, way more uh, detailed than the earlier um, best practices for PNM do for earlier versions of DOCSIS. And um, there, you know, there's some capability that's there now in, in uh, 3.1 modems and CMTSs, and there's, there's, a, there's capability that's, that's still coming. It's defined, and um, uh, MIBs and other things are under development or have just been recently developed to support some of these things. So over the next several months, year or two, we're going to see a lot of a lot of these um, 3.1 specific PNM features uh, become real, and it's just going to add such a um, a, a set of tools um, to the toolkit for cable operators to really take a close look at what's going on in the plant. Okay, so. Um Larry, do you, uh, where do you see the tools going? Uh, you said basically in your your three O tools are are the big focus right now. Oh no! Um, so let's think about this. There's a lot going on in the tool space, and as you know, Brady. Um, uh, so first of all, let me I'm going to project that question back onto you. As um, you have P and M products, and you really have the, probably the best pulse in the industry. I mean, we know what we're doing at Comcast. We've been doing things for a long time and um, continue to evolve. Um, but tell me about, like, in all of us, how's the industry at large doing with PNM and the concept of the ability to actually deliver and implement and, you know, tools and technology, right? At, at Comcast, we've been doing PNM for a long time. I mean, so, how about the rest of the world? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's a really good question. Um, I think it's really 
the, the challenge that some operators have are finding the time to to change from being reactive to being proactive and and different operators do this much more effectively than others the operators that that take the time and allocate resources to being uh proactive have really really good success with that and from the standpoint of success i i mean they uh their plants become much healthier they have much less return path ingress noise they have much decreased CSR calls and they're able to demonstrate this from the from the standpoint of reduced truck rolls reduced CSR calls and you really see it particularly in return path ingress noise from the time they start using PNM to six months after they're using PNM um, just because they're going out and focusing on reducing modems that have high pre-equalization values to uh, decreasing those modems with high pre-equalization values. And, and typically those are the modems that are injecting the most return path noise into the house. Now that we've added, um, as you know, we branded our product Nimble Spectra, we've added that capability. A big thing that we start are starting to focus on are things just like FM ingress noise, fixing that. When you have a house that has a lot of FM ingress noise, you know that if there's noise leaking into that FM ingress band, that house is likely leaking return path noise back into the, the plant. So those are just easy things to fix, identifying those homes leaking noise into the return path plant. So, you know, very simple things, very simple concepts to adopt and resolve. It's, it's changing the paradigm within the organization to say, okay, we, it, the modem's not offline, but we're gonna take the time to go off and fix this issue. And so those, those are really the, the organizational changes that have to occur rather than, it's, it's very simple to say, this modem's offline, this customer's complaining, that's a fire we know to go fix right away. So I, I think that's where the industry's at right now is making that paradigm shift from firefighting to being proactive. Brady, that uh, that paradigm shift is, has unfortunately been underway for as long as I've been in the industry. Um, when I worked for a major cable operator back in the 80s, uh, and I was a either regional or a division engineer at the time, um, we wanted to implement um, preventive maintenance. Now, this is back before we, you know, the, the concept of PNM existed, but preventive maintenance, so still kind of the same thing, getting out of a, a reactive mode and into a preventive mode. And, and at least for the systems that were in my division, I wanted to do this. Well, the corporate headquarters of the company said, well, that, that pre preventive maintenance is a great idea, but sorry, we're not going to pay for it. We're not going to uh, hire extra people to do it. So what we did was, was um, um, tweak people's job descriptions and, and kind of slice up the, you know, the day like a piece of pie and, and the job duties like a piece of pie and give everybody a little bit of a, a piece of a preventive maintenance program. And um, we, we um, implemented it kind of on our own without the ability to spend more money to do so. And um, over the course of a year or so after implementing in these systems, we saw about a 25% reduction in service calls. There was one system that I remember that had a 50% reduction in service calls. And that to me, you know, back in the 80s said, hey, this, this whole idea of you know, being proactive and, and preventive works. And the industry for whatever reason, has struggled with that. The, there's some operators and, and it, it tend to think that, well, gee, I got if I want to be preventive, I got to go out and spend money to do this. And and the way the way I've looked at it over the the past several decades is 
no, it's it's a way to save money over the long haul. It really works. And and PNM um, that has has been uh, I think just a good extension of the whole idea of of preventive maintenance. Um, but in this case, taking advantage of the DOCSIS technology that's deployed in subscribers' homes. Um, and it, and the operators who have deployed PNM have have found big time returns on, and, and as you pointed out, Brady, reduce truck rolls, reduce service calls, um, improve plant quality, improve service quality, improve customer satisfaction. Um, and I and I think if you throw throw things in there with a little little bit closer analysis, though I don't know how much this has been done by the different companies, probably a bit of a reduction in churn, at least the controllable churn. So. It, it has a bet. It's it's got positive benefits. The operators that have deployed PNM have found, yeah, it's it really it really works. It really does work, and it works well. So I I think it's nice that uh, that the DOCSIS 3.1 FI spec includes a whole section devoted to PNM, and and uh, that says that the industry is serious about this going forward. And and you know, given the interest in deploying DOCSIS 3.1, uh, a big chunk of what we've been talking about today. I think I think PNM will continue to be an important important part of of ensuring reliable operation of DOCSIS 3.1 services, especially down the road when we start looking at at moving into the optional constellations and you know, roll out 8,192 QAM or 8K QAM, and then the even higher than that, 16K QAM. That's 16,384 QAM. Not looking forward to looking at the constellation display. <laughs> On that one, uh, but you know, to get there is going to going to take a pretty uh, pretty stout plant, and uh, PNM is going to certainly help us get there. Yeah, Ron, you'll just need to get stronger glasses. So <laughs> <laughs> these are reading glasses, so I can so that, so that my laptop's in focus. <laughs> <laughs> different constellation. I know Ron likes to look at different constellations. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, John, can you tell us from the CMCS perspective um, what uh, what work have you seen done in 8K and 16K qualms? I mean, what's the reality check on that? Um, on our side, none. <laughs> Come on, make something up, John. <laughs> so I, I have seen some. Yet. I don't, you know, I, don't think I saw a demo. Chips. Remember when Jack Moran was working for, he might still be working for Huawei. Yep, he is. When we did the Cable Labs interop, they were showing a 16K constellation. And my God, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of an old analog noisy TV station. <laughs> it looked like a noise ch channel of noise. That's how many constellations there were. Um, but, you know, you might say that's far into the future, but I would have said 1K qualm was a pipe dream five years ago. Now with, you know, robustness and maybe the architecture is going to node plus zero or maybe even fiber sort of to the home, almost like an RFOG environment, you could probably run 16K qualm in an RFOG environment, you know, if it was a node at the house. Could it maybe, be a maybe with remote, remote, remote fi too. Remote fi tap. If you yeah, had a you remote fi tap. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I could see. I like the fact that it's in the spec now. So the silicon is there to support it. Uh, whether or not we can support it in today's architecture is a different story, but it doesn't mean I don't go to remote fi, remote fi tap later on where only eight customers are sharing their remote fi. Uh, and I might be able to do 4K in the upstream and 16K in the downstream. Who's to say? Uh, so I like having those knobs. I guess I'm a, you know, a nerd. So I like to have the knobs there in case I do run into a case I might be able to utilize it. You know, Brady, I wanted to give a, a self plug for you and I. 
to let everybody know that we submitted a uh, Doxus 3.1 abstract for SCTE Expo. October in Denver, right? I think it's October in Denver. It, it is. We'll have a blizzard. Maybe we'll get it for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. <Ron. laughs> Yeah, so John, I'm glad you brought up Remote 5 because that is actually the last topic I wanted to cover for today and just talk about first what is Remote 5 and how do we see that impacting operations and, and uh, field folks as we start to you know think about deploying Remote Line and using that. So, uh, you know, like, I think it's, I think even Larry might be involved a little bit in that as well. Um, and Ron's been involved. I think the whole architecture is interesting because. Now we're getting rid of the RF in the head end, which affects you know the old uh, path track, uh, trilithic return spectrum management because there's no RF in the head end. The RF stops out in the field at the remote five. You know it's all digital optics going out into the field. So you get rid of your analog. It's all digital, no analog channels, unless you're doing some type of an overlay, which hopefully people are getting away from that. So are we just um, digitizing the ground, or are we converting it all to um, DOCSIS at the at the node? Is that I, I want to make sure our listeners understand it, what Remote Phi is. So Remote Phi, uh, the spec is going to allow um, how do you want to say this? Single carrier qualms, six or eight megahertz wide, you know, Annex B or Annex A. Uh, OFDM blocks could be two, could be four, could be six potential blocks. Uh, for the remote fi node or remote fi shelf, um, there would be no analog video, but there could be digital video. You know, MPEG. There could be MPEG two video. Doesn't have to be Doxis video or video over Doxis. It could still be the video they deploy today, but it's not analog video. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Maybe so a way to look at it from kind of the, the thirty thousand foot view is that with today's head ends. We've got racks full of QAM modulators that, that generate the RF channels. And, and those get transmitted through typically analog fiber links out to the field, uh, to the nodes, which, which convert, the, convert that back to RF. But the, uh, the analog optical links do degrade the, uh, the signals somewhat. And with Remote Phi, we take the, uh, the RF signal generation functionality out of the head end. There's, there's the, the, the QAM modulators go away, so it, it frees up rack space and reduces power consumption in the head end and air conditioning requirements. And the QAM modulator goes inside of the node. Uh, so instead of a rack full of QAM modulators, it's a, it's a circuit called a remote PHY device or RPD that plugs into a node. And then that, that generates the entire downstream RF spectrum, all the channels, whether they're single carrier QAM or OFDM, right in the node. And, and the interconnect to the head end or hub is a digital link, say 10 gigabit ethernet. So there is, there is no analog, uh, RF signals, you know, QAM signals in the uh, in the head end being converted to light and then being reconverted to RF out in the field. The RF actually originates in the node, um, so you take out the uh, the optical links as as a degrading factor. And if you um, if you think that basically you're starting out with head end quality performance at the node, um, that enables along with say architectural changes in the distribution plant to say node plus zero. Um, to, to support uh, something like 8K and 16K QAM um, while still operating HFC. Um, so that's kind of the remote PHY thing. There's a variation called remote MAC PHY, although I don't, that's not standardized at, at Cable Labs. Uh, the remote, there is a remote PHY spec at Cable Labs for the remote PHY technology, but uh, remote PHY brings some, some pretty powerful 
functionality to, to the cable industry. And I think it, you know, with as, as John mentioned, when we get to um, fiber to the home or RFOG or or remote fi technology and Node Plus Zero architectures. I think that's where you're going to start seeing the industry really take a serious look at 8K QAM and 16K QAM with Docs 3.1 and and you know eventually scaling um, to potentially as high as 10 gigabits per second or more in the downstream and a gigabit per second or more in the upstream until they do this thing called uh, full duplex docs where where basically it's going both directions at the same time but that's a different subject so so larry the technology sounds really cool are are cable operators actually thinking about deploying this technology i don't know let's ask one no, just, uh, yeah um of course yeah without a doubt so there's uh, every I'm sitting here in uh, Comcast Next Gen Access Laboratory in uh, downtown Denver, and this is the, basically the home of all of that stuff. So um, there has been there are things coming on that would boggle the mind of even Yoda himself, right? It's uh, um, FDX is very intriguing. We're um, we're bullish on FDX. Um, and there's other stuff too. In particular, um, I don't know if anybody caught some of the recent. Um, I've been watching it for a while. I know um, some of us have. The recent announcement from Cable Labs with coherent optics. You want to talk about yet another way to change the game. You can start getting, you know, uh, multi-terabit uh, services over a single pair of fibers that, you know, um, with technology that's that's normally reserved for very expensive long haul, you know, seventy, eighty thousand dollar line cards to get, you know, sixty-four uh, qualm modulation over optics. Uh, and you know, ultra high orthogonality um, is coming to the access network. So get ready. Another 18 months, there's going to be things coming that are just going to completely change our game. The good news is it's it's like good old days of cable is every day of cable these days. It's a, it's an amazing amazing place, and we're uh, our trajectory's up. And uh, imagine poor uh, John Downey over there sitting on twisted Paralink. <laughs> <laughs> a different John Downey. And and that's why we get complaints about John Downey's video. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was just my voice. <laughs> For those of you who can't tell from his video quality, he's a really good looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> I only have thirteen pixels. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Gentlemen, any closing thoughts? I've covered all the topics I wanted to cover today. Wow. Um, well, first, I'd like to say thanks to the people who tuned in to today's Hangout and uh, for putting up with the uh, the three of us. And, and uh, Brady, I want to thank you for inviting us to sit in with you today and, and chat about these technologies. Uh, I, I know personally, I find these things very exciting. And, and, and Larry alluded to it that, you know, every day is a fun day in cable. And um, I've been in the business since the early 70s. And and um, the, only, the only constant is change. And to me, the working in cable is a, is, has been a fun job. It it really is. I, I I just can't imagine having worked in any other any other career where we get to deal with just cool technology, um, and to be able to see see these things come from a, a spec or a an operational practice or a, a standard and become you know real pieces and parts and and real services that we deploy in the industry and to say wow look at that it it works you know. 
as good or better than we thought it would work. And, and it's out there generating revenue for the industry and keeping the cable industry relevant. I know we, you know, we have heard over the, the years and the decades that, you know, this new competitive technology or that new competitive service from, from the telcos or whomever is going to, going to just kick cable out of the, out of the business altogether. And, and um, we seem to, to be able to find things that, that continue to improve the, uh, the capabilities of our HFC platforms and really extend the life of those HFC platforms over the long haul. So uh, HFC is here for the foreseeable future and the, the technologies like DOCSIS 3.1 and, and uh, you know, the coherent optics that, that were mentioned, remote phi and other things are going to um, give a, light, a long life to what we're doing and, and uh, continue to keep us competitive as an industry with uh, everybody else who's out there trying to get a little piece of the revenue pie from uh, the customers who pay our bills. Well said. You know, I would like to get a little quick shout out. Uh, we talk about how hard it is to actually do this. I'm wearing my uh, XPM shirt, Comcast, uh, Brian Thomas, all the gang out there. Um, we have a, an organization built and dedicated to proactive network maintenance. And uh, I'm sure we got a bunch of you all out there now. Um, big shout. Keep it up. Keep on doing God's work, fixing busted cables out there because there's no shortage of them. And uh, thanks, Brady, Ron, uh, John. You guys are old friends, and I really uh, enjoy being in the business with you. We're making history every day around here. It's an amazing time. And that's, uh, that's all I got. Well said. I, I, you know, uh, you were at the forefront of all the PNM stuff, so I'm glad that uh, you were able to take that task on and push it. And I remember some of the first presentations that Brady gave yourself, gave uh, Alberto Campos, and no one really jumped on it. You know, it's like, yeah, whatever, it's proactive, eh, whatever. And then two, three years later, it finally started kicking up, kicking up, kicking up. So uh, it's it's uh, definitely gives more visibility into the network, which how can you go wrong with that? You know, I had one question for you, Larry, and Brady is, about two years ago, we talked about the modems being deployed that had spectrum analysis on the upstream. Have you seen any of those modems? Well, they're out there. Uh, well, they're getting out there. So it, um, what our, uh, our flagship gateway is definitely the first product to definitely have it, and it's not uh, in scale yet. Um, we actually have it in some signal meter technology based on cable modems. It works fantastic. It, that's the game changer for upstream noise detection in RF. Um, and all it is is a couple of pennies worth of, you know, capacitors and resistors to do a little sniffer around a diplex. Eh, who would have thought? Wish we, wish we would have dreamed that up about five or ten years ago. Yeah, I, I know that um, you were utilizing the full bandwidth capture on the downstream to see the upstream kind of bleed over. And that worked relatively okay but it had to bleed over the diplex filter right yeah yeah you can if it's a if you've got a doozy out there you'll see it on the other side of the diplexer um and uh like brady alluded to you'll see uh you know fm signatures are just kind of the killer uh you know the killer marker if you see fm you got a, a gaping hole in your shield basically or a loose connector whatever um it may not mean you have return noise but you have a shielding integrity problem and that's uh, you know, I talked to, uh, you know, Brian Thomas here at Comcast yesterday. And I said, hey, give me some pragmatic feedback. What, out of all this network maintenance stuff that you guys are looking at, what's your number one thing right now? He says, 
FM and in-channel frequency response problems are the two killer markers for chasing noise. So just, you know, little tea leaves for everybody. Very good. All right, gentlemen. Thanks. It's, uh, you know, it's just absolutely a pleasure to spend an hour of time talking, talking RF and cable with uh, just three great men. So I appreciate so much your time. Our listeners, I'm sure, appreciate all the time and information that you provide. Thanks so much. Happy Friday and have a great weekend. Take care.